WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 157, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 17, of the coming of the men into the West, being the 157th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I'm joined by Annex Wilson, also known as Fantasy Annex on TikTok. Welcome! Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you so much for, for, yeah, for coming on. I've been saying that anyone who is is nice and fun and um, creative within this Tolkien creator part of the internet that I found gets to come on the podcast, especially if they're willing to talk about the Silmarillion. So anytime, anytime. <laughs> there's not not a lot. Not everyone is into the Silmarillion. So that's bonus points for you. <laughs> it's a it's a tough book. It's a, it's a reread book is what I call it at least twice. Yeah, it's really funny you say that because I do not think I will ever be reading the Silmarillion again, and we'll I'm see. sure that's blasphemy <laughs> for a lot of a lot of people to hear. But <laughs> it's it's got its rough chapters, but maybe when you finish it, we'll see. We'll see how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Well, before we dive into the chapter, why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings? How did you first get introduced to it? Um. So. I guess it's a bit strange for someone of my age, but my introduction was the books. Um, when I was around 11, I read The Hobbit because I was sort of reading epic fantasy and my school librarian was like, this is a good book that you should read. So I read The Hobbit and I loved it. I thought it was a brilliant children's story and I thought, great. Um, and then I read The Lord of the Rings and hated it because I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was going in expecting The Hobbit and it was not that. Uh, but I had this weird sort of determination of like, I'm going to read this whole thing if it kills me. So I did. Uh, I finished it. And I guess it was that attitude that like made me hate it. So then I never watched the film because I thought this is a boring story of people walking around. Then they throw a ring in a fire and like, what's the point? Uh, so yeah, I had friends who were like, you need to watch Lord of the Rings. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Until it was like a summer, maybe three or four years after. Uh, and I was really bored. And I was like, fine, I'll put this thing on. And I got obsessed I watched all three films in like two days and I was like, okay, now I need to read the books again because this is an interesting story and I know what to expect. So then I went back to the books and I was like, oh, I get it now. Okay, the language makes sense. Like the characters make sense because I knew the story is like, you know, these thousand names for like a thousand places. I get it. Um, and yeah, that's how I that's how I got obsessed with Lord of the Rings after hating it for like four years. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. Well, um. I, I have a little bit of a similar story with that because I I don't know what it was. For some reason, I just never watched it growing, watched the movies growing up. Um, like none of my friends were really into it. So it just totally missed me. So the first time I ever watched Fellowship of the Ring was for a film class in college. Uh-huh. And I thought it was just the stupidest movie in the world. I was like, this is so dumb. There's all these, there's like too many characters, a bunch of them like either sound like the names sound alike or they look alike. Um, in my head, Air, like I had meshed Aragorn and Boromir into the same person. And that's valid. Um, it was, yeah. yeah, it was just so confusing. And 
And I didn't realize that, like, the trilogy climax was going to be destroying the ring. I thought that they were going to destroy the ring in the first movie. And then, like, Mm -hmm. the rest of the movies were going to be about, like, things that happened afterwards or whatever for some reason. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, there was, like, five minutes left. And I was like, oh, that's not happening. What a pointless movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then, um, yeah, several years later, I got the idea for this podcast and came around on it Mm -hmm. again um, and found it much more enjoyable the second time. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend who I dragged to a Lord of the Rings marathon, like an all-night marathon um, that one of the theaters in London does. The Prince Charles does a all-night marathon like twice a year. And I dragged him to it because he had never seen it. He's a film buff and he sees like all of the Oscar-like films, but he's never seen Lord of the Rings. And I was like, it won all the Oscars. You need to see this. Um, and he didn't like Fellowship. He, uh, he After the film ended, he was like, is the whole thing like this? And I was like, no, just keep watching. And then he loved Two Towers. And he was like, that was a much better film. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. It, it takes a while to get into it. But then you get to the end and, you, you know, the climax just, it just gets you. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, no matter what your feelings or thoughts are on any of the movies or like which one's better or which one's quote unquote the worst because none of the three Lord of the Rings movies are bad movies but you know everyone has their personal rankings Mm -hmm. arguably I don't know if this is as powerful stuff I'm trying to transition us into (laughs) the Silmarillion seamless seamless (laughs) so good um so this is chapter 17 of the coming of the men into the west um, and we've been waiting for these guys for a while now. Mm-hmm. Again, this is chapter 17. So it's been it's been a while since um, we like we knew that there would be obviously, you know, us as Lord of the Rings fans. We know that men are going to play some part at some point because we have the existence of Aragorn and Boromir and whatnot. Yes. Um, but they're mentioned like in, you know, I think even like the first section before we even go into the official start of the chapters that there's going to be elves and there's going to be men and they're the children of Iluvatar. Um, And there were some, I think a couple, yeah, a couple chapters ago, there's this random chapter that's just set that's of men and it's like two pages long. And it mostly just talks about how much better elves are than men. So (laughs) the Silmarillion, it's interesting because the in-world explanation for the book is that Bilbo wrote it, or it's collect it's stories collected from the stuff that the elves tell Bilbo when he's at like Rivendell, and it's stories that he collects and uh, just put into the Red Book of Westmarch. Uh, it's a lore of the elves. So I think I think it's a really valid reason for why the whole thing is about elves and how awesome they are and how amazing they are, and why dwarves suck yeah. for the most part. And they look down on dwarves and then the men come in and they yeah, they do some cool stuff and some of them are relevant, but it's the elves. It's all about the elves. I think I think that's a really interesting in-world explanation for a whole book about the amazing elves. Yes, totally. And there are definitely parts of this chapter too where that comes in where I'm like, yeah, I can tell this is told from the perspective of elves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> it begins with who's it i want to make sure i'm talking about the right (laughs) the right f named elf finrod um is has been hunting and traveling with um maglor and madros but then he gets kind of tired so he goes off on his own and ends up 
into the north of Osirand, but it's really funny because it takes Tolkien like three sentences to describe all the different paths he went and the places he went by and the directions, only to say he came into the north of Osirand because mm-hmm. he wants you to know exactly the path that he took. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's it's setting the scene is Tolkien goes on about it a lot. And I feel like he was so proud of his world building, of his like naming places and how close and how, you know, everything's relation to each other. He's like, I want you to know this because I worked on this so hard. That's yeah, actually, you know what? That's so true. I never really thought about it from that perspective of like he he works so hard on these. And so he's going to use them. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to say all the names. He's going to tell you the names. Yes. Um. And so into the north of Assyrian, he he sees light in the evening and far off he heard the sound of song. Um, And he thought at first maybe this was the green elves because they live in that area. But the the sounds and the songs that he's hearing are not what elves would be singing. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually he sees um, a, a group of people who are not elves. These are the men. Um, and they're all kind of gathered together and their leader is Bayor the Old. Um, and he is their chieftain and this dude and like his lineage of people will be very important. Yeah. And we'll get to that lineage in a, t- towards the end of the chapter, but, um, Family tree needed very much. Oh my gosh. Visual yeah. aids everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Fin, Finrod, this is where I was like. Maybe this is just because I'm a woman, but this seems really creepy what he does. <laughs> and like, it would terrify me if I was there and this happened. So mm-hmm. he watches them from a distance, like hiding in the trees, waits for them to fall asleep. Um, and as he's watching them, he do- he like a fast, it says a love for them stirred in his heart. So nothing is malicious here. Mm-hmm. Um but it just seems very just so odd to me. Um, and so he waits for them to fall asleep and then goes and sits beside their fire and takes up a it mentions a rude harp um, of Bayor's. And I just think that's funny that like the elves would note when like this is a rudimentary harp. This yeah. isn't as good as the harps that we have. It's a it's a whole sense of I think it's interesting you mentioned what like Finrod does because I think it's him seeing the humans as like so almost like children of you're not quite at our level yet so you know they have a rude harp and you know they sing some rudimentary music and their music is harsh and it's not as nice as ours so it's 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 really not weird to Finrod that he should you know watch them from the trees and then go amongst them because they're like lesser children who's not at the level of the elves but yeah it's definitely yes totally because he's Finrod it's less creepy but although any other person it would be yes yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, so yes, he plays music and it wakes up the men and they all look upon him with wonder and the music that they listen to is so beautiful because it's nothing that they've heard before because it's, um, elven music. Um, and because it, it says wisdom was in the words of the elven king and the hearts grew wiser that hearkened to him. For the things of which he sang, of the making of Arda and the bliss of Amon beyond the shadows of the sea, came as clear visions before their eyes. 
and his elvish speech was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. So the music is their first point of connection and communication with each other, mm -hmm. which is a very beautiful sentiment in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. And it's very thematic for like Tolkien's universe in general. Mm -hmm. The music is a thing that connects people. But I wanted to ask, um, how, how do you interpret how Finrod's music like works? Do you think it's do you think there's a sort of magic to it? Like, because he says that everyone understood what he was saying in their own language and in their own sense. So do you think there was magic in what he was doing? Or is it just elven music is wonderful? I, yeah, I don't, I wasn't sure how to interpret all that because I was like, is there some, is there like mind reading going on here? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on? And it, it is kind of interesting the way that like they're able to communicate because they obviously, they have different languages and, um, even though the, um, I think it mentions that the men know, yeah, they do know some Quindy because mm -hmm. they came from the East. Um, but yeah, I was like, is there, is there mind reading going on? Is there, it does very much seem like there's some kind of supernatural element almost to this, yeah. um, where I guess that's just the quality of elvish music. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. Yeah, so the men are super impressed with Finrod. They think, um, in fact, that he is one of the Valar um, because they've heard of the Valar in their travels. And um, this is uh, what a lot of people presume is why they're traveling in this direction as they're looking mm -hmm. for the Valar. Finrod hangs out with them for for a while and share and connects with them and learns um, you know, who they are and they learn from each other. We learn more about Beor and how he's leading his people over into the west and over um the the mountains that are if you're looking at that dreaded map <laughs> um if you're looking at that map at the back of a, a book or or online or something there's a range of mountains all the way on the right side of the map and so that's where they have just crossed over mm -hmm. the Ered Luin, also called Ered Linden for absolutely no reason which, there we go which Great. confused me like, so I don't much. know what the first time. I don't know what the name is, yeah. but I, I was like, I'm sure he will know what the name is. <laughs> um, I've been like, I've been working on the maps particularly recently because I was sort of creating a for this Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I was creating a character who was making a journey west, and I was like, so the maps are really fresh in my mind because it's like he would have crossed that mountain, and then he would have went there, and then he went there. But yeah, uh, it, 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 I remember it confusing me the first time because. It mentions at the start about Ered Linden, and I was like, and in my head, that map, that mountain is always called Ered Luin or the Blue Mountains. So yeah, it was always it was really confusing, and I remember going back to the map, and it just says in brackets Ered Linden. So he could it's Tolkien with uh, naming things for different, and then and then changing the name partway through because a story happened there. Yes, totally. Oh my gosh. Bayor shares that they were coming over in this direction. F Finrod asks him about um, the arising of men. So I guess how they they came to be and their journeys. And Beor didn't say much because he didn't know that much. Yeah. Because obviously there, I, I was assuming that, you know, he's probably, he was, Beor was probably, he might not have even been born when the first men were originally came into to Middle Earth. But um, it's the fathers of his people mm -hmm. were very, they didn't, say exactly what happened or talk about their past yeah because 
this is happening about 300 years after, right? It's 300 years after they landed. Yes, yeah, thank you for... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says at the very beginning, when 300 years or more were gone since the Noldor came to Balerion. Yeah. So that's that's our timeline um, mm-hmm. of of where we are. Yeah. So Bale would that would in that case be like a fourth or a fifth generation human because humans awoke when the sun came up. Um, yeah. So which is when uh, the Noldor sort of landed and Noldor there was a battle. Came, yeah. And then the sun came up and there was a fight and the orcs ran away from the sun. So 300 years after that event, meaning so, yeah, Bayo, at this point, I, 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 don't, I don't, dates aren't my thing, um, like exact timelines. But yeah, I would presume Bayo is sort of fourth or fifth generation, at least, like earliest fifth generation human. So yeah, he would just be hearing a lot of very old stories. And, you know, it's we know that humans weren't exactly law masters keeping records for thousands of years like elves were. So I think it's, yeah, very reasonable that he just doesn't know. He just, he's heard bits and pieces from his forefathers, but it's not really that important to him or to the humans like it is for the elves. Right, yeah. yeah. It's also hard to keep track of timelines and whatnot when you have like like hundreds of years passing with like the turn of a page. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's always hard. And then, yeah, the introduction of... Um, these characters now that have a much shorter lifespan is going to complicate our timelines and and perception. Maybe I shouldn't even say timeline, but like perception of time as you read the Silmarillion. It's Mm -hmm. very hard to keep track of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So he says, a darkness lies behind us and we have turned our backs upon it and we do not desire to return thither even in thought. So they don't even want to talk much about what they've left behind. Um, He says, westwards our hearts have been turned and we believe that there we shall find light. Um, And I wanted to be like, well, bad news for you. Um, (laughs) Something happened. Awkward. Where the light, the like true light kind of got sucked out of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Your your information is outdated. It's it's coming from the elves who were told there were light and decided not to go there. And as far as they're aware, there's still light. But no, it's it's yeah. Someone sucked it all up. Yeah, that's so true that they would have heard it from um you know the supposed dark elves, mm-hmm. um which that always confuses me when I'm reading this because you see dark elf and you're like oh that means they're evil, but it just in this sense means that they were not the elves that saw the light mm-hmm. of Valinor for themselves. So it's more literal ra- rather than metaphorical. But yeah. yeah, it was the it was the dark elves who would have said, oh, yeah, we heard, yeah, like maybe a couple thousand years ago, we heard mm-hmm. this rumor <laughs> and then a bunch of our people left, but we weren't sure about it. So we stayed behind. But I mean, hey, you can go find it if you yeah. want. And then um, it's unlucky for them that they came too late. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously um, this this darkness that lies behind them, um, or maybe not even obviously, but I think naturally Finrod hearing this would be like, that probably has something to do with Melkor, like this is Melkor or Morgoth's doing. Um, and we do get a little update on what Morgoth has been doing. And I, this was when I realized, oh, we haven't really talked or, or you know, heard what he's been up to. Because I think the last we really heard of him was in um, was several chapters ago, whichever chapter it was where 
um, Feanor dies. And that's when it mentions that there's this huge, like, hundred-year-long siege of Angband. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the last we've heard about Morgoth and what he's been up to. Yeah. We do learn that he left secretly under shadow. Um, He departed from Angband, and he left Sauron in command. Um, And he went over into the east to... Try and do something with the men, you know, whatever his plan was. It was just to get to them first, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says, to corrupt or destroy whatsoever arose new and fair was ever the chief desire of Morgoth. So, yeah, he's sort of trying to do the same thing he did to the elves because he was the first to find the elves as well. And, you know, he turned them into orcs and he captured them and he and it was sort of his uh, his temptations and his lies that made a bunch of them stay behind and was like, we don't trust this entirely. So yeah, he sort of tried to do the same to men. And I suppose he succeeded in a sense because most of them stayed behind and only these three houses of men, like the Bayor and the Haladin and the Manak the people, they, they're the only ones who really come over, right? So yeah, he's sort of trying to destroy them like he did elves or try to do with elves, really. Yeah, and I think... Um... Whatever he would have done to this, you know, darkness that Bayor mentions and the fathers of his people. Yeah, it says a silence had fallen upon their memory. So clearly whatever Morgoth was doing over there was very, you know, impactful for their lives. And I mean, can you imagine though you like all of a sudden wake up into existence <laughs> And then, um, like, that's a very different experience than being born as a baby and slowly being, like, all of a sudden you're just, like, I can't imagine, like, in my adult body being dropped into a world being like, what just happened? Where Mm -hmm. am I? (laughs) And then, yeah, this, like, force of darkness, you don't, like, you don't even know the concept of, like, who the Valar are yet Mm -hmm. and or that there are elves or you know and then this force of darkness comes up and does something you know that is probably like really you know scary and traumatizing whatever Morgoth did over there he doesn't really stay long because there he he knows that Back over by Engband, the power and the union of the Eldar is growing stronger and they are more in number than the men. And so they're kind of the bigger threat and mm. he needs to turn his attention back over there. Yeah. So he goes he, he goes back to Engband and leaves leaves the men alone. Can we say uh, on the topic on the like I, I love Tolkien's language. I love how he like writes um Although I think it take, takes a bit of time to get used to, but the, his language is amazing. And mm-hmm. silence had fallen on their memories is one of the best ways to say they forgot. It's amazing. Oh. <laughs> it's I was, so good. I was more interpreting that as like, oh, no, we don't, you know, like in Canto, we don't talk about Bruno, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we don't talk about <laughs> we, yeah. don't, we don't talk about what happened. Yeah, I think, I mean, you. I, I read it as sort of they didn't like to remember, so... They didn't keep stories they of forgot. it. They didn't tell stories of it. So over generations, they wiped it. Like, we don't want to talk about it. So I think, yeah, I think it started out as, like he said, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, and then because they don't, over a couple of generations, it's forgotten. And I think silence has yeah. fallen on their memories is such a good phrase. But every time I read it, 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 it sticks in my head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tolkien does have, and that's what, um, that's what frustrates me 
a lot when I over the course of this podcast where the <laughs> moments where I am frustrated because, oh, my gosh, he took a whole paragraph just to get to saying he went into the north of Osirian. <laughs> and, you know, he has a whole pair, a whole chapter describing a map and like some of the infuriating things he does. But then he'll he has such a way with words in other parts where I'm just like, that's just so amazing. And you just don't read anything like that these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. And that's what that's what sometimes infuriates me where I'm like, ah, oh, man, but he's so good. He's so good at what he did. So, <laughs> yeah, no one writes like that anymore. It's 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 definitely a product of his time, like fantasy written like that. Now, I don't think would sell. it. It was a time when fantasy could be as flowery and like big and weird and like epic as it could be because i think now it's a lot more like digestible fantasy with like characters and themes and like relationships but back then it was just like a flowery language and you know we can have aragorn who just has gone through his character arc and doesn't really need to change anymore but the language is amazing and that's what sells the book um also interesting point to note that the elves without meaning to saved the humans like their presence in the west is what forced because if they hadn't been so strong, Morgoth oh, would have oh, stayed. Yeah. Morgoth would have stayed there, and because he had to leave behind, he had to leave and you know leave his lesser servants behind to corrupt the men. It didn't work as well. So the elves, without meaning to their war, saved the humans. Very true. Yes, totally. Finrod learns from them that there are other men. Um, as you mentioned, these two other you know families or houses. Uh, of men that have traveled and some of them are still on the other side of the mountains or you know other ones that they've already they were originally ahead of Bayor and then they and then Bayor's men passed them the Haladin yeah so the Haladin are still on the eastern slopes of the mountain I love this awaiting tidings before they venture further so they're like yeah. we'll let you guys go first <laughs> you let us know what's over there yeah. and then we'll come yeah. hang out Come back and tell us. And then is that the family that's that's ruled by Marak? Marak is a third one. Marak is the big group of sort of like warlike. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then there's a third separate family ruled by someone named Marak. And we're also going to hear a lot about like his son and his grandson and the grandson Mm -hmm. of his grandson. So, however, the green. So, yeah. So we have these three families. It sounds like Bayor is the first of the, the men to get over here. And then we'll see you know, when the other two families decide to, to show up, when, they, mm-hmm. when they're when they like, okay, they've been over there long enough, maybe it's safe for us to come now. Yeah. Either they're all dead or um, they're all safe. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't imagine Bayo sent messengers back being like, hey, it's safe to come over. I don't know. I don't know if that happened. I was like, yeah, would you? I don't know if I was being sent as, you know, the guinea pig. Yeah. I don't know that I would send a message back being like, yeah, it's safe. Come on over. <laughs> I think I would just be like, no, they can figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had to figure it out. They can figure it out too. Mm-hmm. So the green elves, however, were not, you know, fin- Finrod was very happy to see the men. And, you know, it, sa- it says that at first sight, basically, a love for them stirred in his heart. That is not the same for the green elves. Mm-hmm. It just says they were troubled by the coming of men. They... Tell Finrod, hey, 
tell these people to go back to where they came from. Otherwise, we're going to fight them and we're going to force them to go back to where Mm -hmm. they came from. Yeah. Finrod relates this message to Bayor and is like, hey, I recommend that we, you know, your people move along to a different area because the green elves are not happy to have you here. Real quick, can you (laughs) explain to me who exactly the green elves are? Because I, all the different factions of the elves um, of like... You know, I know the the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri, and then some of the Teleri are Sindar, and yeah, so can you explain quickly who the green elves are? Because I, I don't so, remember exactly. This isn't my forte, so, but as far as I can remember, the Teleri who stayed behind, well, the ones who did make the journey, but then were delayed in different places. There were a bunch of them who were delayed before, when they saw the Blue Mountains, the Ered Luin, uh, they were delayed there because they were too scared to cross it. So a lot of them stayed behind in Eriador. And then at some point, a bunch of them crossed over uh, into Assyria and like lived in those regions. Uh, so I, I believe the Green Elves were a fact, were a group split off from the Nandor Elves. So yeah, it's... Mm, okay. Yeah. So the, they were the ones who stayed behind and then later made the journey into Beleriand over the mountains and settled and never went really far into the lands um, as far as sort of like Thingol's people did or the Grey Elves or the Elves of the Havens did. Uh, the Green Elves sort of stayed in this corner of Beleriand and never really ventured as far to the ocean. Yeah, so they stayed near the rivers of Assyria. Okay, yeah. all right. Thank you for that for that explanation. Maybe I'll also have a, a follow-up message to you on TikTok Wizard Way Chris, who is kind of mm-hmm. oh, they're obsessed with the elves. They are they knows are the expert, their yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bayor and his people move, I think it's yeah, northern into the lands of Amrod and Amros. Near and near to the border, or maybe they go <laughs> west, whatever. Um, near to the borders of Doriath. Um, which remember everyone is Thingol's Thingol and Melian's mm-hmm. forest essentially. Yeah, they sort of go northwest of it from where they are. Yeah, because they they okay, were right. they were sort of in the middle, and then uh, yeah, they sort of travel west and then a bit north to around the forests um, of Doria. Okay, they establish a land there called Estelad, the encampment. And so that's where a lot of them end up staying for a while. Mm-hmm. However, Bayor, when when Finrod is like, okay, I've spent a while with, with y'all, I'm going back to my own people. Bayor begs to come with him. Um, and he does. And he remained in the service of the king of Nargothrond while his life lasted, which I think is a huge testament to um, the kind of person that Beor is, that Finrod, the this elf, the king of Nargothrond, um, who has this, he, you know, Finrod has command over like a really um, powerful big realm of Beleriand. And for him to say, yeah, human that I just met, mm-hmm. you know, a couple months ago or a year ago, why don't you come with me? And um, the fact that there was like no drama or anything that resulted in Bayor being, you know, killed or or uh, being like, no, you got to leave now. We're kicking you out or something. You know, the fact that he remained in his service for the rest of his life, I mm-hmm. think, is is really um, important to the kind of man he is and, I guess, maybe the people that he's led. Yeah. 
it's one of the first examples of I don't know he's not officially named that but it's one of the first examples of an elf friend which we see throughout Lord of the Rings of like Gimli's an elf friend and Aragorn is an elf friend and Frodo's like named an elf friend and it's like a big deal to be you are not an elf but you're close enough like we count you as nearly yeah. one of us um and Beor is one of the first examples of like a human who is brought in and it's like you're good enough that you're you reach nearly our level and yeah he's yeah. he's Finrod's best friend yeah and actually his 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 human name is Balin. Yeah. Now we find B- out. B A or ba- I don't know how to that sounds so similar to the dwarf in the ho- in the hobbit but it's spelled B A L A N um and then the elves rename him Beor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a huge sign that he is yeah, an elf friend for yeah. for a lifelong elf friend. I just find it funny that we were never told that until now. We were told his elf name this yeah. whole time. And it was like, that was never his name, guys. It was Balan. And then Beor is the name he took. Which, yeah, they just introduce yeah. him automatically <laughs> yeah. with like the name that they gave him rather mm-hmm. than like, this was Balan. Yeah. But the elves called him Beor. Mm-hmm. Once again, <laughs> totally written from the perspective of the elves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Beor's people, they've gone to Estelad or Estelad, um, and he is serving Finrod. Meanwhile, the, the next group of people to come over are the Haladin. They did run into the green elves. Mm-hmm. Whoops. I love this. It says meeting the unfriendship, mm-hmm. <laughs> which again, going back to how you said, you know, Tolkien's way with words and also the fact that this is written from the perspective of elves that's a very kind way they're like yeah meeting like the hostility Mm -hmm. of the green elves but they don't want to throw their brethren under the bus and be like yeah they weren't very welcoming so they just use the word unfriendship they fully said get out but they were like no they were just unfriendly not horrible they were just unfriendly unfriendly yeah yeah. Yeah, the Haldin go into the country of Caranthir, who is one of Feanor's sons. I love it. It just says the people of Caranthir paid little heed to them. So they're okay that they're there, but they're not going to care about them that much. Mm-hmm. And then Merrick, I love this. Now that he's heard, he's heard word that the people of Beor have safely found... Um, like a really nice place to live, green and fertile land. They're like, okay, now we'll come mm-hmm. over. I wonder who told them. I wonder how they found I know, out. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where do they go? They... Yeah, they go just south, just south of Estelar. Yeah, and they, they eventually find Baron, son of Beor. So this is our first, we're, we're, you know, we've been here long enough now that the men are having sons who are growing up to be their own leaders and and whatnot and Mm -hmm. they'll have grandsons that are also um key players in this in this section too so they they have a a good friendship between them finrod returns to see the men um quite often and forms a good friendship with them um this is where we learn that the (laughs) the men also named the Atani, the second people are also called the the Edain. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So Edain doesn't refer to all men, actually. It's um, it's a reference to just these three houses. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, okay. A, it's a specific man who came over the mountain to Beleriand and like met the elves and like had a friendship yes. with the oh, elves right. and I later helped them. It's a reference to only yeah, these three. Yeah, it says... 
it was there used only of the three kindreds of the elf friends. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, you're correct. Yeah. Fingolfin, who, um, rem- reminder everyone, is the second son of Finway. He is, you know, Feanor died over here. Their other brother, Finarfin, is still over in Valinor. So Fingolfin is, is their leader now. He sends messengers of welcome to the Edain. That's when they learn in particular. Um, it says Malak, son of Merak. He stays with uh, in Fingolfin's territory in Hithlum for a while and learns the elven tongue. And he is given the name Aradan. And I think they use like his elven name kind of back and forth. Yeah. Um, throughout this chapter, which gets confusing because it's like, wait, who are we talking about again? <laughs> So he's kind of growing in kind of like like with Bayor, where he's, you know, a trusted servant advisor or whatever um, for Finrod. His line becomes very important sort of later. Like we find out towards the end, his line produces like some of the most important people in this story. <laughs> Much down the line. Um, It's no, I'll just I'll, I'll wait until we get we'll to that get part yeah. um, to say. Yeah. However, they do not stay very long in Estelad because many of them still want to go westward. They want to explore more. Again, they might have heard these these stories of the light. And so they want to keep traveling and keep trying to maybe find um, find a, a place that they're happier living. Um, and some of the... Let me see. I think it says... Some of the people of Baal... Uh, they went. The people of Bayor went north. I was taking notes earlier as well. I thought I know. I um, thought I read something that because it says they did not know the way, and I thought I remembered reading that some of the elves guided them. But I think I just made that up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think they just traveled a lot. It's yeah. I think it says yeah. They traveled a lot and just learned the way. So they travel all around the different realms of Beleriand. Let's leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so so we haven't heard from one of the other key elves in this story, Thingol. Um, he is not very happy about all this going on because remember, a lot of them are around Doriath and so they're not going into his realm, but they're getting near to it and he's not sure how he feels about that, especially because he, even for the elves, he doesn't let all of the elves into mm-hmm. his land. He's very picky in particular about just the elves coming in to see him. I very much don't like Thingol. I'm a th- I, yeah. I don't know how to feel about him. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you'll see his actions in some of the later stories and you'll see Thingol was not a good person. Thingol, I mean, you could you could perceive his actions in different ways, but my reading of his actions is that he was not a good person. He was deeply mistrustful of strangers and like that's what leads to his downfall at the end of. Yeah. Thingol okay. made things challenging for people for absolutely no reason. Like, yeah, without Melian, it would have been a problem. Without Melian, he would not have survived. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, so my thing, actually, let, let me just, yeah, re- read this one part. Um, It says, yeah, he was ill-pleased about um the, the men being there and being so close to him. He's not exactly happy, I guess, that um the rest of the elves seem to be, you know, making friends with the men. Um, it says he was troubled by dreams concerning the coming of men ere ever the first tidings of them were heard. So he's been having these weird dreams about men literally since they heard that men were going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. So because of that, he says um, 
Into Doriath shall no man come into... Wait, into Doriath shall no man come while my realm lasts, not even those of the house of Beor who serve Finrod the Beloved. So yeah, he's really cautious, really mistrustful. And a part of me is like, I don't exactly blame him just because he was really cautious about the Noldor coming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that turned out to be very right because he found out that they killed his direct kin you know they were of the teleri and they were they had that terrible battle with the teleri where a lot of them were killed and slain Mm -hmm. so i don't exactly blame him for being so cautious because he his instincts about trusting the noldor were somewhat correct and they were also like i think a lot of them are high. I think I don't think they're telling us the full truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, come you know, Galadriel eventually is like, yeah, um, we did some bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we killed a lot of your family. Sorry about that. That's that's yeah. fair. That's true. The Noldor, he was he was right to distrust the Noldor, but the Noldor Noldor are also the worst. They're terrible people. So that's fair. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think his distrust extends to men and, like, everyone else to such an extent. And I think it's interesting that when he makes his declaration, like, Melian doesn't say anything because Melian knows what's going to happen. You know, being a Maya, yes. she has sort of a, not exactly, but the sense of, like, prophecy. And so she's like, sure, I'll let you make this declaration, but, like, it's not going to stick. She knows it's not going to stick. Yeah, and I I was wondering how much of this was Melian because in a lot of... Um, instances where Thingol has been really cautious, we find out like a couple sentences later that it's like, well, Melian advised him to do this or that or shared this knowledge or shared this insight. Um, so I was like, oh, is this actually Melian saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't trust these. But yeah, it says after Thingol says this about the men, not even those of the house of Beor who served Finrod. Um, may come into our realm. Um, it says, Melian said nothing to him at that time. But afterwards, she said to Galadriel, I love that, that like she she confides in like her gal pal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> now the world runs swiftly to great tidings. And one of men, even of Beor's house, shall indeed come. And the girdle of Melian shall not restrain him, for doom greater than my power shall send him. And the songs that shall spring from that coming shall endure when all Middle Earth is changed. So that was like a really, that was a really big statement, but also like really vague of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, something big is going to happen. Yeah. And that's all she says, really. <laughs> there is, there, I mean, she says she says one of one of like men of even of Bayo's house, but there's yeah two that really come into um, the goes through the girdle of Melian, and you know like there's two stories that come out of it, and those two stories are, I think without a doubt, the best two stories in the Silmarillion, um, and they're back to back of like of Beren and Luthien and of Turin Turumba. They're like the two best stories that when I said you wouldn't you don't want to reread this book i think after you read those two stories and they're big like after you read those two stories it's mm-hmm. a sense of oh that's why tolkien is such a good storyteller that like those they're amazing the back to back one is so heartwarming and the other will destroy you because it's so tragic amazing. it's so tragic <laughs> but they're amazing and yeah she's right that those two stories endure and you know like aragorn tells the story of baron and luthien later so 
after all of these people are gone, their stories of the men who went through the girdle of million in duels. So, yeah. Yeah. Very accurate prophecy. Yeah, everyone's really hyping up Baron and Luthien, so I hope it's so a... Good. My favorite. I mean, obviously, I know the general story from, you know, knowing it from from what Aragorn says in, in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I think there's two types of people who read the Silmarillion, and it's the ones who think Baron and Luthien is the best story, and the ones who think Turin Turumbar is the best story. Because they are so different, and oh, yeah. Interesting. Which one is your favorite tells a lot about you, and like what, what you prefer yeah, in I'll literature. Yeah, I'll have to see what I think mm-hmm. um, when I'm on the other side of those chapters. Yeah. So it seems like things are going a little too well for the mm-hmm. men in Beleriand with the elves. You know, naturally, as these stories go in the Silmarillion, you know, things are happening. It says dissensions awoke among the Edain in which the shadow of Morgoth may be discerned. For certain it is that he knew of the coming of the men into Beleriand and of their growing friendship with the elves. So by now, Morgoth knows that they're there. He knows that they're, you know, forming friendships and alliances with the men, I mean, with the elves. And he's like, that's not good for me. So he definitely starts, you know, weaving his his webs of, of deceit. Mm-hmm. They, they hold a council. Let's see, it just says uh, it's a council and assembly of men. So it's just men. Um, I don't think elves are there. And a lot of it is like, it's only like we we can't do anything about Morgoth. Like, what are we like? They they know that there's this war and this darkness in the north where Angband mm-hmm. is, um, where they've been having this this siege of Angband, and they say only by the valor, only by the valor. <laughs> I I struggle saying valor because of the existence of the valar Mm -hmm. and so i want (laughs) to because of the valor of the eldar there we go only Mm -hmm. by the only by the valor of the eldar um is he restrained and maybe it was for this purpose to aid them at need that we were brought into this land so some of them are like the eldar are gonna be the ones to end morgoth maybe we're brought here to help them but like we're not gonna be able to do it bareg who is of the house of Beor, says, let the Eldar look to it. Our lives are short enough, which I kind of laughed at. I was like, you know what? He's got a point. <laughs> He's got a point. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. The elves can afford uh, to do this was, for centuries. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Humans can't. Then there is Amlok, who is of the house of a- Amrok. Uh, Marak. You know, what a, Arma- yeah, whatever that was. I've already mm. forgotten. <laughs> um says all of this is but elvish lore tales to beguile newcomers that are unwary the sea has no short there is no light in the west i mean you're not technically wrong about the light in the west (laughs) but um i i can't exactly blame that statement for saying this is elvish lore tales to beguile newcomers because that that would make sense to me that like you wake up in a new in a new land and all of a sudden there are these people telling you all these like myths and legends that like how do you know what's true if you've never seen it with your eyes and at Mm -hmm. this point this was like hundreds of hundreds of years ago um so how do you yeah it's hard to know like what's true and what's not um and then he and then this statement kind of gets a little bit harsher, saying that the the elves are greedy and that and that the it says let the orcs have the realm that is theirs and we will have ours and like we have our place in the world, but the Eldar need to let us um, 
let us be. Leave mm-hmm. us alone. Yeah. So he says some like very um, intense things at this meeting. Mm-hmm. However, after the council, Amlock among the let's see, are they back in the? Are they back with the elder at this point? It doesn't really make clear, but it sort of just says the meeting ended, and at some point afterwards, Amlock came yeah. back to them and was like. That, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. What are you talking yeah. about? I never said those things. He denied that he had been present at their debate or had spoken with such words as they had reported. And at first I was like, oh, my God, is he is this like our new villain? Is he just like gaslighting them to be like, <laughs> I didn't say that. What are you talking about? But no, it's, it becomes clear then that this was... Morgoth's doing. Mm -hmm. They're saying you will believe now or you will now believe this at least. There is indeed a dark lord and his spies and emissaries are among us. He fears us and the strength that we may give to his foes. Um, So somehow so so Morgoth is like really stepping up his game. Mm -hmm. Like he has somehow, you know, dark magic or something to to pose as one of them. And and say these words and try and sow seeds of of deceit and and um, dissent among everyone. And only by you know Amlock being like, I wasn't there. What are you talking about? Like they wouldn't have found out otherwise. <laughs> I can't help feeling that he made a mistake there. Of if you're gonna send someone to pretend to be Amlock, then make sure that Amlock doesn't go back and reveal that that was all lies. You know, like if you're gonna send someone to be Amlock, then yeah. get rid of the real Amlock. Not giving yeah. plans to Morgoth, <laughs> but you know, that was a flaw in the plan of when Amla goes back, everyone's going to figure out that it wasn't him. Yeah, he didn't exactly, yeah, he didn't think it through all the way. No. They're, they're all like, well, I guess this is, you know, we weren't sure exactly like how serious this was or whether or not this was even true because we haven't seen it. But now this is proof enough that mm-hmm. um, there is this Dark Lord and that he considers us and our um, relationship with the elves enough of a threat that he would do something to try and interfere with that. So some of them are like, yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh, we have to do something about this. And other ones say they are meddling in his quarrel with the king, the kings of the Eldar to no gain of ours. So they're like, this is this is the elves problem. Like this is their battle. And any involvement that we, you know, any way that we get involved is not going to end well for us. There's mm-hmm. nothing for us to gain. Some of them leave more south. Um, it says, and they passed out of the songs of those yeah. days. So I guess they're just out. <laughs> they're like, we're we're done with this. Bye. I think there are some theories of what happened to them. Um, because in uh, The Lord of the Rings, there's, they're not exactly the Harad, but um, there are some people who live south of Gondor the exact name for them comes doesn't come to my mind. Um, but that they could be the descendants of the people that Beric took south, um, or they just mingled with the Harad and just joined them. But yeah, uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun phrase. They passed out of the, the stories, like they still mm. live somewhere, but they're just not relevant anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, Amlock, who was the the one that um, you know Morgoth or or one of his servants impersonated at the council um he now has a bone to pick mm-hmm. with with Morgoth and he says i have now a quarrel of my own with this master of lies which will last to my life's end he goes and enters the service of Maedhros some people yeah go back over the mountains back into the east 
and are forgotten is what it says so yeah, yeah they're just not important to the story anymore <laughs> the ones who agreed with fake amlock and then when he came back and was like that wasn't me the ones who were like yeah but the fake one fake you still made a good point like this is not our business you know so they were like yeah even if that was morgoth he's got a point and then they left yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean even though morgoth's plan to impersonate amlock was found out morgoth still you know one yeah some in, in some capacity mm-hmm. you know he did manage to split them up to an extent yeah, yeah. um so the haladin are you know doing their thing but morgoth you know he's seen what he can do to meddle with with the the elves and men um so he continues doing this and he sends an orc raid to the the haladin and it says they did not live under the rule of lords or many together but each homestead was set apart and governed its own affairs and they were slow to unite so they're very spread out yeah they're not going to have a great defense against these these orc raids however there is one among them who i guess is kind of there you know if they had to pick a leader they would pick this one um, and his name is Haldad. He gathers everyone that they can and they retreat and try and find a safe place to rest and keep the women and children safe. And it says there they were besieged until their food was gone. So they're they're really losing this fight. Mm-hmm. Haldad has twin children, Haleth, his daughter, and Haldar, his son. And both were very valiant and brave. It says, Haleth was a woman of great heart and strength. However, Haldad was slain in one of these battles. And Haldar ran out to save him and also died. And then I love this part. Then Haleth held the people together. And I love it when a woman takes charge. Yes. Haleth is awesome. Yeah. Um, I, li- I like that she was, she was so amazing that their name went from the people of, like, Haladin to the people of Haleth. Then their whole name changed because she was amazing. Yes. We love to see it. Mm -hmm. So she is, you know, keeping everyone together of what's left. Everything's going. It's not going. I mean, kind of like Helm's Deep, you know, like things are not going good. And then all of a sudden. Very much that. (laughs) (laughs) There came suddenly a music of trumpets and Karen Thier came with his host down from the north and drove the orcs into the rivers. So, so yeah, Karen Thier comes and, and helps out. He looks kindly upon them, whereas I think before when they originally came, they were kind of like, eh, yeah, you can come and, you know, yeah. be in our land. We don't really, you know, give, you know, care one way or the other, really. They paid little heed to them. But now they they seem to have more... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says uh, he did Haleth a great honor. He offered her recompense for her father and brother. And he said to her, if you will remove and dwell further north, there you shall have the friendship and protection of the Eldar and free lands of your own. However, Haleth was proud and unwilling to be guided or ruled. And this is also very much the mindset of the Haladin, because remember, they they didn't really have lords. They were all spread out and they had their own little um, areas that made their own rules. So they're very much not people that they are going to be ruled by one person. And so she's like... Thanks, um, but no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to do our own thing. I think, where do they go? Just says into... So she takes them west, I believe. West, yeah. yeah. So they, they go west and they, yeah, it says they took Haleth for their chief, which I think is kind of funny that 
when Karen Thier is like, hey, why don't you come up north and you can, you know, be under the protection of the Eldar? They're like, no, we don't have any lords. Um, but then Halith becomes their chief. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's also a sense of like, Karen Thier could have helped them sooner. You know, like he they pay, he paid true. little heed to them. He ignored them when they were there. And then, and then you know, they, they get attacked. A lot of them get killed. They're in a siege for seven days. And then her brother and her dad is dead. And then he's like, then he comes in to save them at like the last moment. And he's like, I can help you out now that like, like I've seen that you guys aren't cowards, which I, I think from Hallett's point of view would sting a little and be like, you could have helped sooner. You could have done something sooner. So I get yeah. that the people aren't going to be like exactly so grateful to Garanthia for his last minute rescue, especially because they're such a proud people. But, you know, Hallett, yes, who totally. led them and, you know, saved them. I could totally see them following her. Mm hmm. That's right. Yeah. So they go to Estelad. Mm -hmm. They become the people of Halith. It says that she did not wed. Love that. <laughs> we love an independent woman. Mm -hmm. But the the headship after she dies passes on to um, her nephew. Um, so they're in Estelad. Things are going good. But she desires to move westward again. And though most of her people were against this council, she led them forth once more. So I think that's really interesting that a lot of people, they were like, we really don't want to move. But like, they clearly have a level of respect for her that they mm -hmm. go with her anyway. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem that this journey that they take is the greatest decision no. um, because it says it's very perilous um that they go through paths that um are no roads for mortal men to take without aid she brought her people through it with hardship and loss constraining them to go forward by the strength of her will so it sounds like a very hard journey that maybe wasn't the best decision yeah it the wording almost reminds me of the elves crossing the helcorax yeah oh, it was tough it maybe i mean nowhere near that level of bad but, you know, for humans mm -hmm. crossing that path. And that's the place that, I don't know if it's been mentioned yet, but that's a, the place they crossed through is the place where Mongolians' sort of descendants, those spiders, lived. Mm -hmm. And it was always a terrible place. Uh, yeah. And there's the, there's the assumption that a lot of them died on that journey and, like, had a terrible time trekking across that They eventually make it to the Forest of Brethil, which is under the realm of King Thingol. Um, however, it's not in the Girdle of Melian. Had it not been for Finrod interfering, they would have been, I don't know, fought or kicked out or whatever. But Finrod obtained a grace for the people of Heleth um, that she should dwell free in Brethil upon the condition only that her people should guard the crossings of uh, Tiglin against all enemies of the Eldar and allow no orcs to enter their woods. Which I think is fair, considering Thingol could easily, I guess, fight them or whatever. I mean, he could also just let them be there peacefully. Yeah. Although, I think, but also, Thingol sort of just said that it's his. Like, it's outside the girdle, but Thingol is like, yeah, that's also mine, so you can't yeah, live there. Ours. Yeah, yeah, you can't live there. And Halith responds, this is so interesting. Where are Haldad, my father, and Haldar, my brother? If the king of Doriath fears a friendship between Halith and those who have devoured her kin, then the thoughts of the Eldar are strange to men. So I don't know. Yeah, she's just like, it's weird 
that he doesn't care to have any kind of a friendship with me. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah, that's a slow clap moment. That is a slow clap moment where she's just like, so you think that I'm going to let Morgoth, who killed my family, just come straight through? It's like, no, of course I'm going to kill the orcs on site. Like, what do you think we're going to do? It's, yeah, it's like, well, you don't understand that we're going to fight Morgoth? Then we don't understand elves at all. Hmm. Yeah, They stay there until Halith dies and they bury her in a really I don't know be- beautiful place and and that's the, those are the people of, of Haleth mm-hmm. <laughs> um who I guess are no longer the people of Haleth because she died um <laughs> yeah at this point it's sort of it's sort of wrapping up the story and it's just like yeah the elves lived so now the humans are living in these different places um and some of them become their own lords in the elf kingdoms right and that's what it talks yeah. about um yeah, that's where it talks about the humans being given kingdoms. Oh, oh, here we go. So, okay, so um, it mentions um, uh, ha- Hador Lorendol, mm-hmm. um, son of Hathel, son of Magor, son of Malak Aradon. <laughs> um, anyway, he becomes the mightiest of the chieftains of the Edain, um, and eventually the 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 language that their people um meld into um becomes the common tongue of Numenor which i just noted because i know Numenor becomes important or Numenorians become important at mm-hmm. some point um even though we haven't really gotten into talking about what exactly that is yeah they're so a while away. this is clearly you know the the introduction to that the fo- the foundation that we'll see grow mm-hmm. then we get to this wonderful paragraph that i was yeah. losing my mind at i saw the tiktok <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i tagged you in it yeah uh, yeah um oh my gosh so crazy it's a whole paragraph just about the sons of Hador were Galdor and Gundor, and the sons of Galdor were Hurin and Huar, and the son of Hurin was Turin, the bane of Glaurung, and the son of Huar was Tuar, father of Arendil, the blessed. Mm-hmm. That was one sentence. <laughs> I gotta say, though, on a reread, this is one of my favorite paragraphs on a reread, because there's so many name drops. And that's the... And I'm not going to read the rest of these, because it, it's... Like four more sentences like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does say Boromir, who is not our Boromir from Lord of the Rings, obviously. And also, I was just laughing so much because one of these names is Bregolas, <laughs> which is so, it just is so ridiculous. Because <laughs> um, it sounds like it. a ship name between Brago, the horse, oh, no. and Legolas. Oh, no. Oh, no, that's not even where my mind went. Oh, my like, God. oh no! <laughs> I like was thinking so... some version of like Boromir and Legolas, but or Boromir, but like yeah, yeah. Regolas. <laughs> I was also just thinking, is that just like is that like the bro name for Legolas? He's like a bro Brogolas, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what his boys call him. That's what the boys call him in um. Oh my, my gosh! Book. Yeah, bro. Hey, Brogolas. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Gimli and Aragorn call him in, mm-hmm. you know, the moments that we don't see in the yeah. book or on the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all this to say, eventually one of these people leads to Baron, um, who wins the love of Luthien, who is again Thingol's daughter. And from them came Elwing, the wife of Arendelle, and all the kings of Numenor after. That whole paragraph is basically saying 
So the sons of Hador had children that went all the way down to Tuor, who had a son called Erendil. And on the other side, uh, the son of Boromir, they had that went all the way down until um, it created, until they had Beren, who married Luthien, who eventually had Elwing. And then Erendil and Elwing marry, and they have Elrond and Elros. And Elros sets up the Numenorians. So it's sort of it's sort of mentioning the two sides of the family tree that comes together to create the Numenorians and also every other important person. Just, it was, I was reading this, the, this paragraph and I'm like, I'm, a lot of these names sound important or like they will be important. Yeah. But how am I supposed to know who any of these people are yet? At the so, moment, it, that's, this is one of the, it's a I'm really I'm sure book. I will... Yeah, I'm sure I will come back and like refer to that paragraph and be like, oh, okay, that's who that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all of those people are mentioned again and like four of them have their own book. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I recognize um, Huron because there's the Children of Huron mm-hmm. um, book. So, yeah. And then obviously Turin, that's, or, or Turin. Turin is, is Huron's is... son. Is that one of the That's the of names? Turin Turambar. Yeah, of that, Turin yeah. Turambar. So yeah, we'll definitely return to some of these these characters in the future. Things are progressing well for for the men. It says, In those days the strength of men was added to the power of the Noldor, and their hope was high. The the thing with Morgoth, it's not done, but it's somewhat contained for the moment. It mentions um the houses of the three men multiplied. Um, there's one house that are all like blonde and blue eyed, except for Turin and Morwen, who are all dark and brown hair with gray eyes. And I don't know why those details are important, but it, Tolkien makes sure to tell us. It's mentioned Turin specifically because Turin, I think Turin's mother, so Turin's father is the house of Hadol. But Turin's mother is the house okay. of Bale. So okay. Tolkien, for some reason, at the end of the chapter, tells you what all these people looked like. So yeah. at the end, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Bale had brown hair. Haddo had uh, blonde hair. Like at the end is like, oh, these, this, like that's not even relevant to him. At the end is like, oh, this is what they look like, by the way. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is all the cool things they did, and this is what they look like. Things are are going, oh, they're going pretty good as well as they can be when you have, you know, Morgoth there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it sounds too good. It sounds like things are going to go bad quickly. Spoiler alert: the next chapter is called <laughs> "Of the Ruin of Beleriand and the Fall of Fingolfin." So oh yes, <laughs> yeah, everything's going well. This, this piece, you turn the page on the next chapter. Ah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even uh, it does say the Edine, remember, they're mortal. However, their their lives are lengthened when they come into Beleriand, but of course they still have to die. Um, and it says, at last, Beor the Old died when he was 93 years old, um, 44 years of which he served Finrod. And it says, when he lay dead of no wound or grief, but stricken by age, the Eldar saw for the first time the swift waning of the life of men and the death of weariness, which they knew not in themselves. And they grieved greatly for the loss of their friends. So this is like, like I just can't imagine being an elf. And then all of a sudden, like someone just like 
do- like Bayor just like doesn't wake up or whatever. And they're mm-hmm. like, what happened? Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> no, it must be. Ha- I don't get it. Is, did, did someone come and stab him? Like mm-hmm. what happened? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I think from the perspective of the elves, it's so weird. Like death is such a weird thing because the only way they yeah. die is like when you get killed in battle and it's like this dude who just grows old and dies would be a, such a weird concept for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, yeah, that's, this is like really their first, you know, experience with it. And all, like, all I was picturing is, um, in fellowship after the, they, they leave Moria and they're reeling from the loss of Gandalf and there's that shot of Legolas and he just looks so confused <laughs> because he's like, what? <laughs> I've never seen someone die before. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just picture like Finrod um, sort of poking him and being like, why isn't he waking up? Wake up. <laughs> Wake up. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> the Edine continue to learn from the Eldar. Their houses and their sons multiplied, and they would never look upon the light of Valinor. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am uh, on TikTok mostly. Uh, if you just search at Annex Wilson or Fantasy Annex, I will be there. Uh, YouTube, I have a bunch of stuff on there and I will have more in the future. So again, that's just Annex Wilson on YouTube and uh, at Twitter as well, Annex, Annex Wilson. Just everywhere, same name. Awesome. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash Pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. Another special shout out to all of my patrons. If you were ever wondering, hey, what is this support going towards? You guys just helped me renew my Podbean subscription for the next year. So that means I can keep bringing the podcast to you. So that is what that support went to this month. And I wholly appreciate it. And another shout out to this week's sponsor and our newest patron, Guy. I know it sounds like I'm just making up a new person and I just thought of the vaguest name possible. But I promise Guy is a real person who just became a patron. And I appreciate your support, Guy. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please make sure to rate and review. Thank you for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, no, thank you for inviting me. This was a blast uh, to go through the that chapter in so much detail. I think I picked up stuff that I had never like picked up before or read because I was sort of going through it and was like, I need to know this chapter properly. So yeah, that was fun, and I'm looking forward to listening well, to the rest I'm of the. Gl- I'm glad you had fun. Le- yeah. The rest of the episodes, because you're getting to some really good stuff. I hope I'm getting to some really good stuff now. <laughs> well, the good life with Turin Turamba, if names are a problem, because that guy has like 12 names, and he comes up with a new one every other paragraph. So good luck with that one. Oh no, <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.